Hello, this is Ken Stusen. I'm a partner at Brown Advisory. Welcome again to the NOW podcast. NOW stands for Navigating Our World. Through these discussions, we try to better understand the world around us, to navigate some of the most pressing questions that are shaping our lives, our culture, and our investment challenges. As we look to the future, whether we agree or disagree with each other, the one thing we know for sure is that none of us can figure this out on our own. At Brown Advisory, we are focused on raising the future, and we hope these now conversations will help us do just that. I'm recording this as tens of thousands of people and more than 100 heads of state are gathering in Egypt for the COP27 Climate Summit, the United Nations Conference of the Parties. In his opening remarks at COP27, the UN Secretary General framed the fight against global warming as a battle for human survival. He said, we're on a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. Humanity has a choice, cooperate or perish. I'm Erica Pagel. I'm the Chief Investment Officer for Sustainable Investing and a Portfolio Manager at Brown Advisory. As investors, we know that climate risk is real. And we know that we cannot achieve real climate action without a material shift to renewable energy sources. So, as we think about driving toward a lower carbon economy during this NOW series on the energy transition, we want to understand different opportunities and different perspectives across the energy landscape. In this episode, we are diving into renewable infrastructure as it stands today, as well as the opportunities going forward in the U.S., in Europe, and in developing economies. Among renewables, solar power is growing rapidly. In the U.S., solar is expected to account for almost half of new electric generating capacity this year. Meanwhile, the Inflation Reduction Act is expected to create significant job growth to build out solar and other renewable infrastructure. Against this backdrop, I sat down with Raghu Bulor, the co-founder and chief products officer of Enphase Energy. Enphase is the world's leading supplier of microinverter-based solar and battery systems. The company revolutionized the solar industry with its microinverter-based technology and builds all-in-one solar, battery, and software solutions. As a leader in the U.S. residential solar market, Enphase provides home energy systems that enable homeowners to manage their own energy usage to save money and create energy resilience. Ragu is at heart an innovator, and as you will hear, is passionate about the opportunities that solar offers in terms of economics, job creation, and energy security, as well as climate action. Ragu prescribes a future where solar and other renewable energy sources enable people around the world to thrive while decreasing our reliance on fossil fuels. Let's dive into the conversation. Raghu, it is such a pleasure to speak with you today. We're really excited about this conversation. Thanks, Erica. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk about how we see the whole energy landscape evolving and talking about technology. Technology is something that's very near and dear to me and uh, lived it pretty much my entire professional life. And so I always enjoy sharing my thoughts. 
Great. Well, maybe we can start with learning more about you and your background. Raghu, how did you get involved in clean energy and what was your time like at the Indian Institute of Science? So I, I'm an immigrant. I came to the U.S. back in 1990. So I, I have spent um, the majority of my life here in the U.S. So it's defined my life in a great sense. I started my career at the Indian Institute of Science, working on, ironically, a clean energy system back in 89, I think. Yeah, 1989. It was a 100-kilowatt gasification system, which basically in that time would burn waste material, wood chips, etc., generate carbon dioxide, go through a reduction process, create carbon monoxide, and then carbon monoxide would be fed into the inlet manifold of a big diesel engine prime mover, and the whole goal being to reduce the consumption of diesel. We were planning on deploying this in some remote islands near India, since diesel was so expensive to ship and they had a lot of waste material, could you burn waste material and reduce the amount of diesel consumption? That was my first foray into clean tech. And subsequent to that, I came to the US, I came to do my master's in electrical engineering. And then I um, actually started working at startups. And Enphase was my fifth startup. So my track record is very interesting, right? When I say about five startups, I blew the first one, did really, really well on the second. Blue the third, blue the fourth, and then this is number five. So batting for you know four hundred is part of the course here in Silicon Valley, I think. Raghu, thanks for sharing your background. How did you come up with the idea for Enphase? Sure, Martin, who's my co-founder, is a technology genius. We had both tried to start a wireless company before this, and that didn't work. And so we said, okay. What's next? And we said, we, we, we had an interest in solar and we looked around and said, why is power conversion being done in a centralized manner? Power conversion must be done in a distributed manner. Uh, one of the things as you your journey through technology progresses, you start noticing some really interesting patterns. And one of them was that distributed architectures always win in the long run. If you look around, there's a lot of existence proof out there. If you look at the move from mainframe computers to PCs, if you look at smartphones from dumb plain old telephone systems to smartphones, if you look at going to a data center, you don't find a big single monolithic compute. You find thousands and thousands of replicable blade servers. Raghu, what is the argument in favor of solar beyond its clean attributes? We are, in a way, reinventing this grid from the inside out, right? A grid traditionally is a what's called a hub-and-spoke model. that centralized generation and everything goes from there down to the homes. But here we are. Endpoints are becoming extremely intelligent. Endpoints are making an autonomous decision, endpoint being the home, and endpoint becoming very self-resilient and reliant. You're reinventing this whole grid from the inside out. And that's where the thinking around microinverters came. So the way I would really think about microinverters is think about it as a kind of a foundational element for energy management, right? A foundational element that allows me to manage power flow and energy flow between disparate resources within the home, whether that is solar or batteries or EVs or generators or heat pumps or the grid itself. And this is an enabling technology. It's a very fundamental enabling technology that allows us to do that. Solar was our entree into energy management. 
right? We always had a much grander plan or a vision for Enphase because we knew we were solving a bigger problem. Maybe diving a little bit deeper for our listeners, if you could talk a little bit about exactly what a micro-inverter is. Sure. Traditionally, the way solar worked in a home, you put connect all your panels up in series, and then you feed it into a big giant inverter, and the big giant inverter converts the output of the solar panel, which is what's called direct current, DC, into AC. AC is alternating current, which is what you use in your house. If you look at that little wall socket, uh, either on your desk or on the wall, that's AC, and it's 60 hertz, 60 cycles per second, AC. Our view was that instead of doing it in that manner, if our thesis was correct about distributed architectures and intelligence, instead of centralizing all that intelligence in that one box, we said break that apart into smaller devices and do all the power conversion at the panel itself. So you go from DC to AC, which is the usable alternating current, right at the panel itself. For the solar application, there are a number of advantages. The first one is that Christmas light problem everybody talks about. If you have one light go out, all the other lights go out. Similarly, in the centralized topology, if one of the panel is shaded, it has an impact on the operation of the other panels. So with microinverters, you're doing a power conversion at the panel itself. If one of them does fail, the remaining of remaining panels and inverters continue to operate. The second advantage is around reliability. Big box devices, you're processing thousands of watts of power. That puts a lot of stress on the components on that big box inverter and makes it very unreliable. Worse, if that big box fails, your entire plant dies. With microinverters, you can make the device extremely reliable. The third one is because you have the output is a standard AC voltage and current, it becomes plug and play. So we provide you with a, literally we provide our in, uh, installers with a extension cord and they just come in and plug the <laughs> microinverter into that extension cord and then connect the panel to the microinverter. So it's very simple to design and install and maintain. And finally, fire safety, and this is becoming a very, very big deal. When you're dealing with high voltage DC, with microinverters, it's significantly much safer because you don't have high voltage to deal with. We are managing 60 volts DC. So, so better performance, greater reliability, much simpler to install, design and maintain, and much safer. We also, of course, did something really cool. So we use heavy software within that device to define how it operates. Because the way the device has to operate, whether that's in the US, in California, or in Germany, or in Brazil, or in India, it's different. And instead of making pieces of hardware that are very specific to the different regions, we do everything in software. And of course, we also have a communications infrastructure between the device through a gateway into the cloud. And so we can actually see in real time exactly how the system is operating. Ragu. What is the argument in favor of solar beyond its clean attributes? I think the thing that people should think about with solar is this is not a greeny type thing, right? This is economics. You want to save money? Go buy solar, right? It gets politicized, unfortunately. But the fact is, if you do the math, any rational person, you would see that you'll make money, you'll save money by adopting uh, adopting solar. There's a reason why as utility rates go up, solar adoption increases. Furthermore, if you think about it in the context of energy security, solar is it. 
it's local. It's produced here. It's consumed here. So I generate locally, I consume locally. So I, I love um, that you talked about the economics as well as the scalability of renewables. So would like to, to stay on that for a minute. Maybe first, if we could talk about the scalability of solar and renewables within the U.S. It's still a very small percent of our energy usage. How do we scale renewables in the U.S.? Yes, you're right. It's really unfortunate how small the scale is. And by the way, it's not just the U.S. This is worldwide. The U.S. is at about 4% penetration. Here in the U.S., we are barely you know, scratching the surface. Same thing in Europe. So the opportunity that lies in front of Enphase is tremendous, and that's super exciting. Right now, demand far exceeds supply. In general, it's not just for end phase. I think it's the industry at large. And that's because there is this rising level of awareness of utility rates are continuing to rise. Um, there is a, you know, due to climate change, for example, you're seeing 100-year storms that are occurring every year. You're seeing California dealing with things like forest fires, etc. So the utility itself is becoming less reliable. In Europe, there are the geopolitical issues that are taking place with the war. That's not only driving up prices, it's also creating a great deal of uncertainty and unreliability of your network. So so what's happening is not only are power prices going up, it's also become, the power is becoming unreliable. So people are starting to figure out, okay, how do I hedge against that? What is my alternative? And the obvious alternative is I got to put local, put solar. So all these all these extraneous forces are in fact driving significant demand for solar that I produce my own energy, I control how, I, I store my own energy and I control and I manage how I use my own energy. You tell a great story about the opportunities for solar, but what are the challenges to getting to scale? We have a lot of challenges ahead of us. We need a much bigger workforce, right? Solar is from jobs creation point of view, the fastest growing industry without a doubt. Second is we need the supply chain to also step up, right? We've got a lot of new factories to build and get more products in and get all the raw materials in line with what the demand is, etc. So the entire infrastructure needs to get better, it needs to get more efficient and to enable the adoption of solar. How have supply chain bottlenecks impacted not only your business, but the renewable energy industry overall? A lot of work has gone into managing the supply chain challenges, right? There are some intrinsic advantages to Enphase from a supply chain point of view. It's a software-defined device. So what that allows us to do is to make one device and then adapt it in software. Depending on what software you push onto that device, that brings a number of supply chain benefits because I only have to make one device. I don't have to make devices for different regions. So we have, we Enphase has probably managed the supply chain issues better than some of our, some of our peers. Um, that doesn't mean that we have not had our challenges, but I think we have weathered that storm a little bit better. The second thing is we use contract manufacturing. We have partner factories in Mexico, in China, and in India. And we have a factory that's going to start up now in Romania, servicing the European market. We are going to open 
factories here in the U.S. as well to service the the U.S. market. And lastly, you know, we are always multi-sourced, so we don't rely on any one specific supplier for our components. And that's a company strategy. In the event one one particular supplier is having issues, we can very quickly switch to another supplier. What role does storage play in scaling renewables? It's absolutely crucial, right? I mean, the one thing that's the downside to solar is that it's an intermittent resource. I don't have solar at night, right? That's just the reality of it. But you pair solar and a battery together and you've solved that problem. Yes, I may have some issues in the winter months. Yes, I may have some issues in really the northern hemisphere. But if you look at the bulk of the problems can be solved with a combination of solar and batteries. Now, solar and batteries will play a role behind the meter at the home as well. So this is part of making the home self-sufficient. The home becomes electrified. You convert to electric appliances. And now if I pair solar and batteries, I have a perfect combination of resources within the home to be very, very self-reliant, self-sufficient. Ragu, Enphase is focusing on using solar to create a complete home energy management system. What does that look like? As an example, I'm here in Northern California. Last year, as an experiment, I was running completely self-sufficient for 90 days. So what ended up happening is this transformation where first we are transforming from solar and solar plus batteries to energy systems. And energy systems will have resources. Um, Solar is obviously a resource. Battery is a resource. Um, The grid just becomes just another resource for the home. So I think you're seeing a very exciting transformation. I can manage all of these disparate resources within the home and deliver the best economics, the most resilient system for the homeowner. It's incredible that we're now at a point where we can convert almost fully to renewables. So operating our cars, our homes, our daily lives. Argo, what's that kind of trigger point or aha moment of when we really start to see adoption of renewable energy? The trigger point is already there. It's triggered already. It's happening. This whole drive towards whole home electrification enabled by solar and batteries is happening. You're seeing that in residential. We can't keep up, like I said, with the demand. And we want all our offices to be clean and renewable as well. A lot of stuff is happening in the utility scale side, no question about that. And that needs to continue as well. Policies now are being put in place that drives even more the great, even greater the adoption of solar and batteries. You look at things like the investment tax credits, all of those things are great. The adoption is continuing at a massive rate. Just think about, think about this notion that I buy an electric car, I plug it in, and my utility is powered by coal. That sounds absurd, right? Hey, I bought an EV, but it's really coal electrons that are driving it. That doesn't make any sense. So EV and and solar must be paired together. So I am charging my car from green electrons, right? Uh, that's really, really important. And there's one more element I think that really is critical to understand is that we'll also need to provide what's called coordination. What that means is that, so here's my home, which is an extremely intelligent system that's very self-resilient, 
that's managing and federating all the energy flow within the home to deliver the best economics and the highest resiliency. We got that. My neighbor has the same thing, and my neighbor's neighbor has the same thing. If I can connect them all up together, I create even more value. For example, if my neighbor is not at home, is away on vacation, their batteries are charged, I can transact the energy across from my neighbor. The utility infrastructure already exists. So the way I think about it is that the role that the utility plays has to evolve, the business model has to evolve, but both can win in an, in an evolving energy world, right, where the whole infrastructure is changing. I'd love to switch gears a little bit. You've mentioned your perspective on the global environment a, a few times. Europe right now is in the midst of an energy crisis, really a cost of living crisis with soaring inflation and declining currencies. And Europe is an expanding market for end-phase energy. How do you think about adoption of solar, renewables, and Enphase's growth within Europe? For Enphase, we doubled our business in Europe from 21 over 20. And we expect that we'll double our business yet again from uh, 22 or over 21. And the reasons are very first principles based, right? Hey, you know, utility rates are up. There's a concern around reliability of the grid and resiliency. And so it's about save money, create energy security. And so we are expecting that the momentum is very, very strong and will continue because of the geopolitical issues. And that's why you're seeing Europe growing as fast, if not faster than the US market, right? Solar, renewables are almost marketing themselves right now, right? And I'll continue. Why would it change? There's no reason for anything to change. Even if the geopolitical issue got resolved tomorrow, right? I hope it does. I hope the war stops. I think the change is, change is massive and the change is permanent. What role do China and India play in renewable energy? And how much innovation comes out of these regions? I think you'll see a lot of innovation come out of these come out of the regions. As an example, we have a very large engineering team based out of India. One of the beauties of countries like India and the whole Southeast Asia is there's a lot of sun. So it just is obvious that they should be you should leverage all of that and do a lot of renewables, do a lot of solar, do a lot of wind. Same thing with China as well. It's just a perfect fit. In fact, if you think about how the energy landscape will evolve, right, are we going to see a proliferation of poles and wires like we have here? Or are developing countries, India and others, leapfrog the traditional poles and wires infrastructure approach to something that is locally produced energy? So think about a world of local microgrids and, you know, primary reliance on solar, solar storage, wind, etc. And everything is done locally. If you think about it, the analogy being cell phones, right? India, everybody's got a smartphone, right? They don't have a landline at home. Nobody got landlines. It leapfrogged from landlines to smartphones. The same thing I think should and I believe will happen for energy as well. Why do I need to centralize things and build these big, archaic 
poles and wires to deliver the energy if I can do everything locally, particularly because there is an abundance of solar, right? And look, there is ton, tremendous amount of local talent there and great technology is going to emerge from all of these countries. What role does traditional energy, oil and gas companies, play in a lower carbon future? Yeah, well, we have the one 1.5 degrees Celsius goal uh, to meet, and I think that's going to be challenging. I, I think in my mind, three or four things that we should do. First and foremost is coal needs to go away. That's one in my view. Second thing is that natural gas stays, but pair it with sequestration. So you can use natural gas generators to generate centralized energy, but do it in a carbon neutral fashion. Deploy as much solar and wind as possible, both distributed as well as centralized. That's the ne- that's the other obvious thing to do. And then, you know, there's a lot of work that's going on in making nuclear safe as well, right? And I think we need to look at that and find ways to invest in that as well. Last but certainly not the least, the economy, which is on all of our minds today, with a more challenging economic environment. Many industries have talked about slowing headcount growth. Earlier, you mentioned actually hiring within your industry. Is Enphase in an industry that is recession-proof? Hey, it's a great question. You know, I really believe that energy in some sense is recession-proof because what's my alternative? I'm not going to live in a dark house, right? You're not going to do that. Your alternative is either go to the utility or put solar on, because like I said, utility rates have gone up and they're also not very reliable, especially in the winter months when there is, you know, you're more prone to storms, right? And so having a solar and battery system makes you, it saves money. <laughs> it's really simple. It saves money and creates greater reliability. So, so in some sense, I see that solar is actually recession-proof. In fact, I was thinking back and I don't have third-party data on this is that I believe at least our business was growing in the last couple of downturns in the the market, right? Even in an environment where interest rates are higher, the rate at which the increase in interest rate is offset by the utility rate hike. And by the way, a five-year payback period, even if it moves to seven years, for a product that's going to last you 20-plus years, hedges against further utility rates, hedges against inflation, it makes complete sense to put solar on. And to that end, I hope I've convinced you to go put solar on your house if you haven't uh, already done so. (laughs) Raghu, a question we're asking all of our guests in this energy transition series is, do you think that we will reach net zero globally by 2050? Yeah, I think if we continue... And, take, and deal with some of the barriers that we have in adoption of solar, you know, making sure that we don't run out of a labor force that goes out there and installs solar, make sure that the supply chain is there to meet the demand. I think if we do, the combination of deploying more solar, more batteries, more wind, cutting back significantly on coal, doing carbon sequestration for natural gas, I think we can. It's going to be It's going to be tough, but I think we can. We have the technology, right? It's more about getting that technology, getting the products out into the marketplace and doing that in a frictionless manner. And um, so I feel positive about it, but there are a few things we have to do. Like I said, we have to cut back on coal, put as much solar and batteries as possible. 
It is clear that you are an innovator. I'd love to close by asking you, what are you most concerned about right now? And what are you most excited about? I'm most excited about the fact that I think we are at that trigger point, that we are seeing just unprecedented demand. And there is nothing here that indicates to me that the switch from traditional energy to renewables is going to slow down. I'm not referring to end phase. I'm talking about the industry at large, that this switch has occurred and you're going to see fantastic adoption of solar. We still have a long, long ways to go. We are still at about 4% penetration of solar in the U.S. and we need to be at a significantly higher number than that. There's a lot of work that needs to be done in improving the efficiency of deployment, improving doing a lot of work in terms of building great products, which is what what Enphase does. So I'm obviously very excited about the transformation and this going from solar to energy and this adoption that we are seeing of these energy systems within the home. And the thing that keeps me up at night is that we need to get enough people into the workforce that can then go uh, make this happen. Otherwise, uh, we'll slow down and not hit our 2050 goals, right? And that would be really bad. Raghu, thank you very much for your time. This has been a terrific discussion. I've learned so much and know our listeners have as well. Thank you very much and thank you for uh, this opportunity to talk. Thank you for joining this NOW conversation. It is a continuation of our efforts to seek out insights that help us understand our rapidly evolving world. If you enjoyed listening, we encourage you to follow the podcast. In our next episode, we will continue to explore the transition to a low-carbon economy. We hope you'll tune in. Until then, be well and stay safe.